Yeah, no, look, it, it doesn't doesn't bother me. It's it's just doing my job, and I know that I've got the support of, of my teammates um, up on the balcony, and for me, that's that's the most important thing. And yeah, if I can can make them proud out in the middle and and make um, you know Australians proud as much as I can, then then that's my job. I guess not too many players. Um, have a year out of the game when they're, I guess, at the top of their game midway through their career. So I guess having performed at a reasonably high level for, for four or five years to, to have that year away, um, it's given me a chance to freshen up a bit and, and come back hungrier than ever and um, and work on a few different things, get, get a bit fitter. So, yeah, I, I feel in a good place and, um, yeah, hopefully I can have a big impact for Australia in this World Cup. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Menzel, and that was former Australian captain Stephen Smith speaking after his century against England in the warm-up for the World Cup. Well, listeners, joining me on the podcast this week, I have Northern England's finest export, Steve Wilson. Steve, how are you? I'm very well, thanks, Manners. Thanks for having me here again. Any uh, FOMO at the moment with the Cricket World Cup going on in your home country and you're here? Oh, of course. I'd love to be there. And uh, for one more reason than one, uh, I think covering from over here, there's going to be a lot of late nights and uh, stocking up on the vitamin D tablets. And uh, yeah, but no, watching it on the TV is uh, almost as good. And the, uh, yes, sorry, Joe. I was, was going to say, surely all three of us have a bit of FOMO. Yeah. None, none of us want to be watching it at three in the morning. We want to be watching it in prime time, don't we? Exactly. And that was Joe Barton, chairman of the Sean Marsh Fan Club. Joe, how are you? It's never been said. I'm, I'm chairman of the Glenn Maxwell Fan Club. Um, my Sean Marsh Fan Club membership is pending. But I'm, I'm very well menaced. I'm, um, I'm excited. This, it all kicks off this week, so yeah, I'm ready. Yeah, I'm, I'm a bit worried about you, Joe. How's everything going at home? Because you've been a bit testy lately on Twitter. You know, I've put a couple of uh, tweets towards you, and and your your re- instant response is, "I'm going to block you, man. I'm going to block you." Is, is everything okay you, at home? You're, like you're putting on a voice that is not is not my voice. I, I was very calm when I sent that message on uh, Sunday morning when I woke up to more trolling from the ultimate troll that is Andrew. AKA Menas Mensel. You're the one that said it about Steve Smith on the podcast. I was just pointing it out, but everything is okay at home. There's oh, nothing you want to talk to us about. We home can... life is great. There's only one person in my life that's uh, that's annoying me, but um, <laughs> unfortunately, I have to speak to him once a week. All right, listeners. Well, in this episode of Cricket Unfiltered, we have all the week's cricket headlines. We're of course going to sink our teeth into the World Cup build-up. We've got a commentary critique of the World Cup commentators. And then I'm going to lock these two panellists into their predictions for the World Cup and their favourite World Cup memories. Well, let's start things on the front foot with the cricket headlines brought to you by the dailytelegraph.com.au. That's your domain, Steve, isn't it? That's it, yeah. The number one destination for all your cricketing needs. Yeah, is there a lot up there for the World Cup? Yeah, we've been running a lot of stuff there. We, you know, we've been previewing all the teams, looking at some of the key players. So, yeah, there's, there's plenty of uh, content to, to while away these last few hours before the action actually starts. Get all the information you need to make your predictions. Well, let's start with the first cricket headline. This was uh, something Monty Panesar wrote for the Daily Mail in the UK. And this will be no surprise to cricket fans around the world. This is what Monty wrote. Whether we broke the laws depends on how you interpret them. 
we found that mints and sun cream had an effect on the saliva and that helped the ball to reverse reverse swing, of course. I might also have accidentally caught the ball on the zip of my trouser pocket to rough it up a little. Well, Steve, I'll start with you. Uh, quite a stunning admission here from Monty Panesar. It is. Um, oh, well, it is to a degree. I mean, the idea that using sort of mints and sun cream to sort of rub the ball is not something sort of dramatic and new. And it's something that we know all players or, or lots of players at the international level have done before. The, the bit about, you know, alluding to the fact that he may have uh, used his zip, he sort of went on to say, well, yeah, using your, your clothes is permitted within the rules and blah, blah. I think it's a bit of something and nothing. It's a man who's just written a book and wants to uh, bump up the sales a little bit. And so they've they've picked out some sort of juicy bits from it. Um, I'm not sure whether that really sort of adds a great deal to the ongoing chatter about uh, the rights and wrongs of sort of manipulating the ball or not. It's just a, uh, yeah, it's something for people to get excited about just before the World Cup. And, uh, you know, good luck to Monty. I hope he sells lots of copies. But, uh, yeah, it doesn't really uh, fire me up that much. It is pretty consistent with kind of what every current former and former cricketer said in the wake of the Steve Smith thing which was this happens you know the average cricket fan might not be happy to hear that the vast majority of cricketers out there have you know engaged in some form of tampering or altering the condition of the ball even on minor levels I mean I think we can agree that bringing mints and sunscreen is a little bit different to bringing sandpaper onto the yeah. just a just trifle. a touch, but yeah. <laughs> um, but but yeah this 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 is this is consistent with what what we've heard from from everybody everyone does it it just also indicates how the ICC have let this issue just get out of hand for years and years and years and the sanctions have never been strong enough and and it took the sandpaper fiasco for the ICC actually to change the sanctions to a sort of level that's probably consistent with the severity of the offence. I mean, I think now you could miss up to four test matches for a severe ball tampering offence. Before it was just one or two. So I think the ICC have, have been slow to react, but finally we are getting somewhere. But I guess it is a sort of reminder to the, the general cricketing public, especially the English fans that want to sing songs and have a go at Smith and Warner for what they did, that it is a, it's a broader issue than just what happened in South Africa. Absolutely. But like, as Joe says, the, the most fans, in fact, all fans can draw a distinction between the sort of grey area of, you know, rubbing, you know, getting mints and, and getting some saliva and actually taking a bit of sandpaper out onto the pitch and then hiding it down your pants and then lying about what you were doing. There was, there was so many different levels and layers to what happened uh, at Newlands that, it was in a completely different stratosphere. It's a separate conversation to have about, you know, what what is, where do you draw the line between what's permissible and what's not? And that is something for the ICC to look at. And they sort of are grinding into gears slowly on that. But uh, yeah, it is, it's a reminder that it, it does go on and everyone seeks a, a little advantage wherever they can. Yeah, I mean, I think we've probably all agreed at various points that one year was maybe too much for um, Smith, Warner and nine months for Bancroft. But what you've said there, the the four four test ban. I mean, that's that's an entire series. If in most cases outside of the major ones, the Ashes, etc. So, missing missing an entire series of cricket for um for breaking the laws in this way, I think is a pretty fair punishment. All right, from one headline to the other, Australia's World Cup build-up has begun in great fashion with wins against the West Indies and England. Steve Smith hit a sparkling century against the Poms and. Smith has batted in all five of the Australian World Cup practice games and is averaging Joe Barton a mere 131. 
you need to get some new material matters. But yeah, it's fantastic to see Steve Smith in the form that we would you know know he's capable of, and uh, not the form that he was in the year before, prior to his ban. Yeah, I actually did hear Steve Smith talking about his uh, own disappointment with his one-day form before this is, his ban. This is odd. This is odd so, news. So is he not in good form, Menace? Just for a little bit. But you were saying don't pick him in the World Cup. Uh-huh. If you can find audio of me saying don't pick him for the World Cup, I'd be I'm going to be trolling be through the audio later. I guess this is the perfect start for the Australians in England. You know, they, they came off a series against India and Pakistan with a lot of momentum. There was some worry that the break would sort of suck a bit of oxygen out of that momentum. They've come out, they've beaten the West Indies, they've beaten the world's best one-day side, so they are in red-hot form. I, I don't think you can overstate the importance of what we've seen from Steve Smith so far. His performances with Australia, he still hasn't played a competitive game. Um, they've all been in warm-up games against a sort of scratch New Zealand team, against a, a West Indies team who maybe weren't sort of that engaged with it. But watching him in all of those What's very clear is that the technical aspects of his game are in really good order, regardless of the quality of the bowling or the fielding or whatever. He was finding the gaps, he's, he's picking the right shots and he's doing everything correctly. And when Steve Smith is completely on top of his game and everything's in working order, then Australia, well, any team's improved by that, but Australia then become a genuine force. The next step is that you know the the pressure of an actual competitive games where points are, are are on the line but there's nothing from what he's done so far to suggest he won't just sort of breeze into it and he's looking like a potential you know match winner tournament winner for Australia and if I was an Australia fan I would be getting very very excited about watching Steve Smith at the moment yeah you talk about the pressure and the pressure of the the bigger matches to come he's he's somebody who's never really shied away from pressure he's he, he excels on the big stage so this is um the, the fact that he's technically looking very good and that year off hasn't dulled any of his um, you know, hand-eye or anything like that. and We saw Warner go, go nuts in the IPL and Smith was kind of good and bad in patches in the IPL, but he's come through that and clearly seems as if that elbow issue is um, well behind him. So, yeah, it's extremely good signs for Australia and if you've got him batting at, uh, at four in this sort of form, it, he's the anchor. He's the anchor around which the Australian innings can, can build. Absolutely. I mean, if, if you look back, and I know you like to have a bit of fun manners with, with those sort of the questions that we had about Smith before, but they were legitimate questions. He hadn't, Not really. <laughs> he hadn't played for a year. He, he had an injury to his shoulder. The, the sort of trauma, if you like, of the last year that he's gone through, we didn't know how that was going to affect him. We, you could make guesses, but um, these were all genuine sort of asterisks against him coming back into the squad. But he's come back in and everything has gone like clockwork so far and he's, he's bit by bit answering each of these questions is nothing wrong with his elbow he's talking a good game everything looks to be right and so he's answering those questions that were legitimate and and now looking forward and, and looking like the player that you know we we knew from 18 months ago He's talked about that he's uh, fitter than he's ever been. Been. He also doesn't have the burden of captaincy, so he can really just now focus on his game and scoring runs, and he doesn't have to look after the, the whole team. I thought Warner looked pretty good in his 40-odd against England. He doesn't seem to be quite in the sort of imperious form he was in the IPL, but I think he's um, just slowly working his way back into the Australian team. Yeah, I, I think it's very interesting with him. You saw him go into the IPL in front of thousands of screaming fans, the noise and the chaos of all of that, and he just front foot 
first ball, uh, he was just knocking it all over the place. And when he's come back into the Australian squad, he's looked nervous and, and, and he looked like, you know, he's not quite sure of himself. I think that reflects pretty well on him, to be honest, because, you know, he, he obviously cares. It, this matters to him. And that's why it's a greater stress looking from the outside in on him walking out in Australian colours against a New Zealand scratch team than it was playing in front of 80,000 people. And it's because it means something to him. And I think that in itself actually bodes well and, and reflects well on him. And it's just a matter of him building up a bit of momentum now. And like you say, he was looking in good touch against England, maybe didn't have quite the sort of level of concentration that he would if it was an actual World Cup game and that, that sort of cut short his innings. But no, I think the signs with him are very good. I don't think David Warner's ever scored a century in England in, in test or right, one-day yeah. cricket. So, I mean, he would want to write that statistic this summer in the World Cup and the Ashes. I think the – and we're, we're definitely going to talk about the bullish nature of the fans and, and what is going to come from uh, the English crowds. I would like to – I would like that to spur David Warner on. Like, he, he is that kind of character, that abrasive kind of character who I think could – feed off a bit of um a bit of aggro from the crowd and we've got different stuff in south africa i know we're going to talk about that as well but that was that was too personal and that that definitely affected his mindset but i think hopefully just the more light-hearted nature of the of the barmy army fans just having a couple of jokes about um sandpaper isn't going to affect him mentally so i think if he can feed off a little bit of the um the crowd then we could see some some big stuff from david warner absolutely use it as fuel and motivation so it seems pretty clear that Smith and Warner are going to cop it all summer. Already we've had Foster's ads with sandpaper, booze from the crowd, Barmy Army lyricist warning of what is to come. Steve Smith, after his game against England, uh, said that he just blanks out all the uh, booing and he calls it white noise and he doesn't pay any attention to it. And my understanding is Cricket Australia are really conscious of what is to come for this Australian side. So they've sent over some experienced media managers to to really keep an eye on things and keep a tight control of things. And also reports are coming from the Channel 9 media arm that uh, Cricket Australia have engaged some, some PR gurus to help them with their PR for what is going to be five months in England under the microscope. So, guys, what do you think? How vicious... Is this storm going to be? I don't know if it's going to be that vicious, actually, when it gets down to it. I mean, if we saw in the, the warm-up game, obviously, both players were sort of mildly booed when they came to the crease. And Steve Smith, when he reached his milestones of 15, 100, it was a very mixed sort of thing there. I think it's to be expected. I think we've talked about it for so long and it's been on everyone's mind for so much that it's kind of taken the sting out of itself just by this constant mulling over it. They, it will come and it's to be expected and I don't think it's that terrible a thing that you know they get they cop a bit. There is a rivalry, rivalry between England and Australia and of course the fans are going to sort of leap onto that and try and use it to help their their team if they can and get under the, the, the skin of the players and it would be the same if roles were reversed. But because they've been, they've had a year to prepare for this, they, they, they've talked about it, they, they've, they've planned for it, I, I don't think it's going to really get to them at all. And, and Steve, do you think, and this is good for asking my English panellists, do you think that English crowds will stoop to this sort of vile, sexist, uh, derogatory comments that came from the South African crowds? Well, you, you, you hope not. But, like, you know, there's, there's, there's 
bad eggs in in, in every crowd. Um, a few you pints. Know, yeah, the, you know, people are drinking all day. If it's it's a long day, there's a rain. You know, the, the, there are people in that. But if you take them as a sort of general as a whole, English cricket crowds are can be raucous and 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 get into the contest as much as they can, but. More often than not, it's done with sort of humour and and with fun, and I think that will be the bulk of it. And hopefully, you know, if anyone does step over the line and or stoop to those sorts of levels, hopefully, uh, the organisers are prepared for this and are ready to sort of turf people out if the if needs be. But hopefully, that doesn't happen. So I think in the past, the Barmy Army has kind of stooped to, or maybe crossed crossed the line a couple of times. But um, it was encouraging to hear this week from Joss Butler, who was the standing England captain, who said that his players won't won't be baiting Smith or Warner. Yeah, look, Do you believe that? If that's what he said, then, you know, the, the, the mics are there for, for everyone to hear. So if, if, if they go back on what he said, then he'll look a fool. And um, the encouraging part of that is if he's the one who's saying that, maybe the, the fans will listen and go, look, if, if it's good enough for the captain, then it should be good enough for us. And I think part of it's that, what you touched on earlier, where some the great players, or a lot of the great players, if, if you get at them, they have a very quick response, and that's knocking the ball out yeah. of the ground sort of thing. So you have, you know, in your arsenal, if you're David Warner, a ready-made uh, a response to someone having a little chip at you, and that's to send the ball back over their head, and they're capable of doing that. And I think the England players, you know, on a pragmatic level, probably know that, that maybe it's worth just giving him the silent treatment and letting him stew on it rather than giving him something to fight against. I don't know. That's the, I mean, that's exactly what Australia found last summer when prov- you provoke Virat Kohli and he'll he'll hurt you more often than not. And the Bulls presumably going to have a similar attitude to that. So, so Joe, will David Warner open the batting for Australia in the first World Cup game? I think he should be. I think it would be madness if he didn't. You've got the two new balls. You want your best batsman, your best one-day batsman is David Warner. I want him in there when. The runs can be scored at a quick rate. Um, Up the top with Finch. And then who comes in at three? Kawaja or your man, Sean Marsh? I am picking Sean Marsh. How did proven, I? Re- proven record. I shouldn't have even asked. <laughs> take take the, the badge off from his fan club meeting. I'll throw, I'll throw something else in there. We're talking, you know, we're eulogising and, and saying how wonderful Smith is. Is there a value of getting... He's not dead. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> is, is, there, is there a ma- an argument for getting Smith in at three? You know, if we're talking as we, I don't think there's any question that it's going to be Warner and Finch to open. I think that's done now. That, that they're not they're not debating that anymore. If Steve Smith is in imperious form, the same principle that dictates putting David Warner, you know, up first to face as many balls as possible. If Steve Smith is scoring at that rate, do we get him? facing as many balls as possible and then have Marsh coming in at four. And So, uh, Steve, you'd have Warner opening? Warner opening. Unequivocal? Yeah, without any question whatsoever with Finch and I would then go with Smith and Marsh but not uh, not necessarily in no, that Kawaja order. No Kawaja fans I think so, yeah. The no, no, leading I would... run scorer in one day international cricket this year it sounds could an incre- potentially sit out from your starting 11. It sounds an incredible thing but you've got to play horses for courses and Sean use what Marsh. you've got there. You're not picking the 11 best Sean batsmen Marsh. that you've got there. You're picking a team that can face different conditions at different times. I mean if you've got Kawaja coming in the middle, with Maxi as an exception, Stoinis takes a little while to get going. Carey was very good in the, the warm-up game. I thought that was very encouraging, but he can sometimes get sort of weighed down. Maybe having Smith coming in at three and then Marsh as the sort of rock at four is, is, a, is a way to go. And then he's just a top-level replacement batsman for if needed. Are you suggesting wow. you'd have Usman Kawaja opening the batting with Finch? Is that what? No, you're... I'd have Warner and Finch and then Kawaja at three mm, where he's and, and Smith at four. Scores. 
if you were wanted Smith at three, you'd have to pick Marsh at four. But I wouldn't go that way. I think Kawaja is someone who, if if you lose an early wicket, he can he can come out and uh, handle the new ball. I don't have the same confidence with Sean Marsh. I don't know. Marsh has opened at different times in his career for different teams, and uh, I, I, I think yeah, we, we disagree on that, don't we? I do have confidence in Marsh. I particularly have confidence in Marsh in English conditions. Um, he's, he's been in excellent form in the last eighteen months, including two centuries and one day matches in England. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have any any qualms about putting him in there. I also think that there's there's going to be a lot of uh, spin used in in those middle overs, and I, I think I'd tip Marsh ahead of Quadra for dealing with that too. All right, now from the batting spot to the bowling spot. So there is a, th- a fourth bowling spot up for grabs, really, in the first game. So if you if you assume Stark, Cummins, and Zampa play the first game, one bowling spot is left. So you've got Nathan Lyon, Berendorf, Coulton Isle, or Kane Richardson. I've sort of been stewing on this one. And you always have to take into account the conditions. And if you go there and it's wet and it's cloudy, then you're going to go for a fast bowler. But say it's not like that. I'm thinking Nathan Lyon is your best bet as the fourth bowling spot. Quite simply because out of the the players available for selection, he's the out-and-out best bowler. So, you know, if you have him in there, he took one for 37 off 10 overs against the Poms, did really well. So if conditions sort of mildly suit spin, he should be that fourth bowler. What about uh, you, Steve? Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with that at all. I mean, it does need the conditions there. I mean, with Stoyness not necessarily being in the sort of richest vein of form of his career at the moment, you're sort of looking at Maxwell uh, for filling in some of the extra overs as well. So then you, it really does need to be a spin-friendly pitch that you're going on, and, and there will be some in this tournament. So I, I would have no compunction about Lyon coming in when necessary. But I think in the in the early stages, it's probably going to be a, a fast bowler who they go with, and I think. Um, Berendorf might be the the sort of more more reliable one, or, or, or carrying a wicket threat certainly up top. With Australia needing to get wickets to slow down teams, I think he can be expensive, but he, he carries that sort of extra threat, and that might be the thing that tips in his balance. I quite like um, Colton Isle. I feel like he's got that match winning element to him, both with bat and ball. He's, he's he's a big moment player. It's the pitch hard. Yeah, he does that sort of got stuff. A good slower ball. Ber- Berendorf. Um, Berendorf is there's plenty to like about him. You don't have any qualms going with two lefties, or no, no, not at all. No, I, I don't think that's a that's an issue. It's um, you know, you never have two qualms or two righties in a team. I know, mm. but that's, that's how it's always been, Menace. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so who would you who would you pick then, Joe? Lock it in. Um, no, I'd go line. Go line. Yeah. Great, we I, agree I like, on something, I like, Joe. I like the um, oh, is, is what, what a moment for the podcast. It, Barton and Mensal in give, agreement. That finally. does give me the impression that I've gone the I've pulled the wrong rein here, but um, I'd, I think I feel like lines. Probably more likely to be economical in that sense. You rip through the overs in the middle orders, as Steve said. There's, middle overs. There's, middle overs. There's going to be some. Um, there's going to be some spin-friendly wickets. I don't know how it's going to. What it's going to be like against Afghanistan, but yeah, I, I think if there's if there's any indication that spin could could work, and certainly against Afghanistan, they're going to they're going to be throwing at least thirty overs of spin against Australia. So, so any concerns with this Australian side for you, Joe, heading into the first game against Afghanistan, on what you've seen already? The biggest concern is the the power hitter in the middle order is essentially Stoinis has gone off the boil um, in the past say six months or so so that that's a concern but as long as the likes of i mean if the top order is firing if we're getting runs from if we're getting runs from warner finch 
Smith, and then Uzi or Marsh, depending where you go. And they're if they can soak up 35 overs scoring well, then hopefully Maxwell can come in and um, get get those 15 to 20 overs at the back end, and and he can go nuts. And you don't need to rely quite as much on. Uh, Marcus Stoinis to to be a pinch hitter at the end, but um, the only, that, that is the only concern is is the guy who's going to come with five overs to go and, and hit thirty. Will so? I just echo that exactly. That is that is the number one concern for Australia is the form of Marcus Stoinis. Um, you know he, he can turn that round at any time and become the destructive force that we've seen of the past. But at the moment, the sort of jury's out on that a bit. Before the England game, I mean, it doesn't completely negate the the, the worry, but. Leading into the tournament, I was concerned, um, you know, Carey as well, not maybe having the sort of scoring pace that could be relied on, that, that he might need to bring should things go wrong at the top. But I thought uh, he showed a lot of sort of uh, attacking intent against the English and a lot of confidence. And so maybe that's not as much of a concern as I thought it was. But yeah, Stoinis is the sort of key weakness at the moment within the Australia team. But that can that can change. Yeah, I echo your concerns about uh, Alex Carey. And another one I have is Aaron Finch. So the the Indians identified a weakness in his technique over the Australian summer, sort of that in-swinger that catches him on the crease. And I just wonder whether that news is sort of permeated throughout the cricket world and whether Finch is going to find it quite tough in this World Cup with all the, the best bowlers in the world honing in on that sort of front pad of his. So that's a little bit of a, a danger for me. Next bit of news, England's World Cup bid could be already in lots of trouble. So they've had the Hales debacle where they chuck out one of their batsmen for a very minor offence. And now you've got injury concerns to Owen Morgan, Liam Dawson, Mark Wood, Adil Rashid and Jofra Archer. Now, look, I'm not suggesting these are serious injuries, but this build-up to the English World Cup is not going very well, is it, Steve? (laughs) (laughs) it's not going anywhere near as badly I don't think as you're you're suggesting there and and perhaps hoping for Um, yeah it's not good when you see players you know leaving the pitch and them having to bring on uh, Paul Collingwood to field in a in a a practice match you know the day before his 43rd birthday that's that's not a great look isn't this the way we thought it would go England would do really well for about three years and nine months (laughs) and then just to sort of month out from the World Cup it would start to tank it is the traditional approach of England coming into a World Cup to sort of find uh, new and creative ways to sort of destable themselves but uh, I don't think that the problems they're suffering at the moment are anything like the problems they've had in the past. I mean you go through them like you say Morgan's been pretty much cleared to play in the first game. Liam Dawson he just cut his hand that'll be all right. Adil Rashid was wrapped in cotton wool just as a precaution. Archer he just slipped on the rope. Mark Wood is a, a genuine concern because going into it he's been plagued by injury troubles and the way that he bowls and the use he has to the team is that he can find that real top end pace if he really you know busts a gut and throws himself into it and I think a function of that is that he you know like a lot of fast bowlers he he becomes brittle and I, I, I would have a concern over that I even thought when they were trying to pick their team that maybe it would be Wood who would step aside for Archer just for that reason but They've got the batters to, to come in. They, they, there's no real problem with their real big game players there. Um, but Vince is no Hales. I mean, if Jason Roy were to pull a hammy, you know, in the first game, Vince is far below yes. what Hales has done at international one-day level. Absolutely. If, if, if Bairstow or Roy or Butler 
comes a cropper and are out of this, it does change the complexion of the English team quite dramatically. But there's the, the, there's no suggestion that they're in any trouble at the moment. Well, Joe, do you believe? I mean, <laughs> has got his confidence. fingers crossed he's at the moment. confidence over here, but it's very un-English. Sweat is pouring off uh, <laughs> off the brow at the moment. No, look, England's still still the outright favourites uh, with the bookies, aren't they, Steve? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'd, wow. Like I'd be Mark Wood. You're right. Big concern. He says he's very confident that he'll, is, he'll overcome the ankle, ankle. It is quite unbelievable that England have never won a Cricket World Cup. I mean, it is, well, it is been, something there that... There haven't been many to go around with Australia winning so many. Well, that's, that's true, it, yeah. but you know, India have won a couple, West Indies have won a couple, Sri Lanka have even won one, and yet England, the, the people who invented the game... <laughs> Have never won one, so if 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 anything, they're due. Are you saying they're due? Yeah, they're, they're, they're due. very That's due. Yeah. I mean, they're overdue. Yeah, you've heard it here first. Man, All right, last, to win. Uh, last headline, and then we're uh, going to take a break. Let's just focus locally on the Big Bash. David Hussey has been appointed coach of the Melbourne Stars. He has big shoes to fill, taking over from Kiwi Super Coach Stephen Fleming. The Stars never have won the Big Bash, so. Hussey uh, will be charged with bringing the Big Bash title to the Stars. There was an interesting article last week that David Warner was being courted to play for the Melbourne Stars. Could you see that? Joe Warner going and playing for the, the Melbourne Stars? He's barely played for any of the teams he's signed with in the past anyway. Shows so. how much he hates the Thunder <laughs> if he goes to play for the Stars. Yeah. Weren't they his club last night? He has been with the Thunder yeah. as far as I've for the whole time, really. It's always a notional thing for those sorts of players, though, when they get put with the franchise, isn't it? Yeah. They're there for the publicity shots and nothing else. He's probably going to be playing Test cricket, I suspect. I imagine he's a shout, yeah. Well, I think the last three weeks of the Big Bash season, the Aussie players will be there. Sixers are going to have Steve Smith, fingers crossed, where we'll want to play. And last bit of Big Bash news, Cameron White, sacked by Victoria after many, many years of service, has signed a one-year deal with the Adelaide Strikers. Do you like that signing, Joe? Uh, for the Strikers? Yeah, I suppose I do. He's still got a bit to offer. He, he came good uh, at the back end of the season, of the Big Bash season, did he not? Um, mm, he did, yeah. I think, yeah, I can understand Victoria's position. You know, At some point, you've got to start to regenerate the roster, and they do have a bit of experience there, even without Cameron White, so I can definitely see their position. But I, I can also see why it works for the Strikers if they, they're bringing in a guy. He can, he's effectively a T20 specialist now, so... And we and we've seen how guys can play on until late thirties, you know, even forty. So I think he's Brad he, 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 he mid forties. <laughs> well, Brad yeah, Hogg, late forties. Well. I, I, I can see he can offer he can offer plenty to the strikers who um, had a bit of a down year after the uh, breakthrough title. All right, that was the week of cricket headlines brought to you by the Daily Telegraph dot com dot au. Your destination for World Cup news, listeners. Steve Wilson's going to be hard at work curating the cricket news uh, throughout the evening, so uh, be ready for it. So I just want to remind you before we take a break that the show is on Instagram and Twitter at Pod. That's A-U-S Cricket Pod. That's uh, going to be pretty active throughout the World Cup and the tweets late at night might get a bit loose, so watch for them. Uh, there is a new social media channel called at News Corp Cricket, and that's kind of a funnel for all the cricket and news coming out of News Corp. So go and find that on Twitter and Instagram. Also, if you're looking for a way to listen to the show, podcast apps and Spotify are a great great way to listen to Cricket Unfiltered. So tell your cricket-loving friends about Cricket Unfiltered. All right, after the break, it's the commentary critique. (laughs) 
That is very good. The swing works. The Oracle again. What a great piece of reverse swing. That's some piece of bowling, I can tell you. A bit of that famous English reverse swing cooked up by some sunscreen and mints. Well done, England. All right, uh, welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered. I'm, of course, your host, Manners. I've got Joe Barton, Steve Wilson here. And uh, they announced the commentators for the official World Cup TV feed. So in, in light of that announcement, I thought I'd bring back one of the most popular segments in the show, the commentary critique segment. Now, you may have noticed, listeners, that this this segment did not make a lot of appearances during the summer, it was a little bit difficult when I was interviewing a lot of the commentators to then critique them quite as heavily as I used to. So um, I've toned that down a bit, but it's back. It's back for the World Cup. And uh, I've got a dagger just sitting on the table <laughs> here. So this is the official uh, commentators chosen by the ICC, I'm guessing. And uh, they're going to commentate on the ICC feed of the World Cup. So there's three Australians in the mix. And I'm very surprised at the three Aussies they've picked. So Mel Jones, great pick. But then Michael Clark and Michael Slater, both of them might not even feature in Australia's cricket coverage next summer, are in the international feed. A surprise for you? Yeah, two two guys who, are on, who have been on the nose a little bit in Australian commentary circles. But Michael Clark's pretty popular pretty much everywhere outside Australia, so I can see why for a world feed he could work. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Michael Clark, I, I don't think is uh, a market leader in terms of the sort of commentators out there, but he is the captain of the last team to win the World Cup and so probably uh, earns his uh, place at the table on that alone. Yeah, Mel Jones is fantastic. Mm. I'm so glad she's there. Michael Slater, there's been some interesting press in the last couple of weeks, one about him being kicked off a flight in Australia, the other about him possibly being let go from Channel 7 next summer. So his commentary career is so uh, good around the world. You know, he seems to get a gig in the IPL and in all the competitions around the world. But just at the moment in Australia, he's hit a little bit of a bump in the road. So uh, keep an eye out for that one. Now let's go through the other commentators in rapid fire fashion. We've got Nasser Hussain, former England captain. I like him. He's opinionated and he calls it the way he sees it. Yeah, knowledgeable. He, he knows his stuff and he, like you say, he's not showing opinion, so that works. Yeah, I, I, like, I like the grumpy nature as well. That, that, can, that can feed through well. The smooth Ian Bishop will be commentating there. He just speaks so well, doesn't he? And, you know, for, for such a, a mean, fast bowler, he's so eloquent. Yeah, language. Beautiful to listen to, yeah. I, I, I'd, I'd listen to him any day. Yeah, I concur. The Barry White of cricket <laughs> commentators, Sarav Ganguly. Gangles gets a Guernsey. You'd you'd love you'd love Ganguly, wouldn't you? After all his uh, battles with Steve Waugh, I used to love the theatre of him making Steve Waugh wait uh, on the side of the ground before the toss. I haven't heard Gangles for a while on Australian TV. It's only on only hear him on Indian TV. He's he's quite considered. Um, I think he gives good professional kind of thoughts. Kumar Sangakkara. Very sensible. He's uh, got quite a prominent role on the Wisdom Cricket Committee or the MCC Cricket Committee. So, yeah, I think a good man to have in there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, cricket's Mr. Nice. He uh, knows his stuff. And, uh, yeah, if you don't like Kumar, then uh, uh, you've, got a, you've got a dark heart, I think. Yeah, I don't like Michael Atherton. He's next on this list. I find him quite boring. Um, so I could do without Atherton. Uh, perhaps a little bit. 
pompous, but a beautiful writer as, as well. So I know that's not going to help him in his uh, TV commentary, but he's one of the one of the better people to read. One thing I've noticed is that if you're a former national captain, then you can put your feet up on the desk in the press box. That's just one thing that came to my attention. Uh, Alison Mitchell gets a Guernsey, a fantastic commentator, absolutely one of my favourites. So glad she's uh, on the official feed. Yeah, absolutely. Lots of energy and a and sort of genuine love of the game that comes through when she's talking about it. There's no one it. better than her, is there? I mean, she might not be the best, but I, I can't think of anyone better at her job. No, she, she was one of the um, one of the great kind of breakthroughs for, for the last summer and the the new broadcast deals, etc. was was Aussie audiences getting um, getting an insight into what England's had for many many years, which is yeah the ultimate professionalism of, of Ali Mitchell. Now Brendan McCullum, former Kiwi captain and uh, losing f- uh, captain from the finalist in 2015, he's been given a Guernsey, been the call up. Interesting as well, he was he signed for Channel Seven next summer, and I was thinking about when McCullum has done a little bit of Big Bash commentary. And I remember one night, I think he was sat next to Kevin Peterson in the commentary box. And and, and McCullum is very cheeky. I think if he sort of brings that side of his personality out in the box, he'll be very entertaining, especially now that he's not playing. Whereas when he was commentating in the Big Bash, he was playing, so he had to be more measured. So I think he could be quite amusing. Graham Smith, I could do without him. Yeah, a bit dour, not for me. Yeah. I, I quite like that though. His this sort of his arch miserableness well, yeah, yeah. and his. Uh... <laughs> this is a Northern England person speaking. Like. You need the misery odd. You need gr- the odd curmudgeon in there just to sort give of balance. Yeah. Ingrained into you from a young age. Well, that's isn't it. Grow, yeah, growing up with dark satanic meals all around you. That's, that's right. what you get used to. Yeah. Was him Akram? Uh, well, haven't heard him commentate in a while, but uh, good to have him in the uh, box. I'd say it's good to have him in the box purely because. You know, he's an owner of some pretty memorable World Cup moments. So, if if there's an authority on how to bowl express pace, then he's going to. If there's a contrast, Sean Pollock is also in the in the box. (laughs) We could ask him about 2003, where he couldn't read the piece of paper correctly. Um, I think Pollock's quite a good commentator, though. I don't mind him. Yeah, he's good. It's it's understated. You know, not that sort of memorable. I can't think of sort of classic commentary moments from him, but he he certainly knows his stuff. So, yeah. Mark Nicholas uh, makes a return to Aussie screens after Channel 9 lost the rights. Uh, Yeah, again, just a pro at his job. And you sort of see him when he's with very talented cricketers. He gets the best out of them. I was going to say exactly that. That's his his uh, his talent is in drawing out opinions and sort of insights from others around him rather than providing them himself. And he sort of knits things together very nicely. So yeah, I like to see him on there. Yeah, I'm not sure Australian audiences ever fully fully warmed to to Mark Nicholas, but he's extremely polished. Um, and as you said, yeah, he, he makes everybody around him better. Michael whispering death holding. Uh, I'm pretty sure if the West Indies have a poor World Cup, he won't be whispering any uh, criticisms. He'll be shouting them. But yeah, Michael Holding, one of the best. Just velvet voice. Everyone loves him. I love the alliteration there, velvet voice. Well done. Isha Gua uh, become one of the real stars of the commentary circuit. Again, velvet voice. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. You're talking about a pleasing voice to listen to, to go along with your cricket. Yeah, And she, again, very knowledgeable as well. She's very cool. Even off camera she's a very cool customer so i think uh, she'll add to the coverage pommy and bangua don't know much about him Just zimbabwe hero. he's quite a character though mm. he's quite funny um i've seen him in maybe the cpl one of those competitions he gets out there sanjay mandraker uh, he's a good commentator harsha bogle 
absolute pro, so great to get him in there. Now, here's one I like, Simon Dool. He's pretty entertaining. I can't say I'm that familiar with his work, to be honest. I watch a lot of Kiwi cricket, obviously. (laughs) I think the Kiwis in general are pretty entertaining commentators they, they, they all like to have a bit, bit more fun than the accent mm. is hard not to laugh at yeah. <laughs> like, you just turn on Kiwi News in the afternoon for just to, just if you want to laugh at something it'll cheer you up uh, Ian Smith uh, same bracket yeah absolutely yeah he's, he's, he's obviously there for insights into the the Kiwi team but he's he's got a sort of a bit of sense of fun about him when he when he's talking about it and obviously loves the game he's very genuine so yeah I, I, I like him he takes the piss out of himself a bit as yeah. well which is which I think's pretty handy Ramiz Raja uh, has great hair and a star <laughs> of the 92 World Cup so good to see him there Atar Ali Khan I know nothing about and Ian Ward uh, He's done well, I think, for Sky Cricket in England. Quite a good commentator over there. But a surprising call-up, you have to say, when. And let's move on to the omissions. When there's a few people that aren't there. So David Lloyd didn't get the call-up. I find that quite surprising. Especially on home soil. And, you know, he's, he's kind of one of the iconic voices when it comes to English commentary. No. Yeah, I, I can't work out that decision either, whether... They're trying to sort of move forward, and and he's perceived Looks as like being yeah part, a part of an Looks old like setup there, and you know it's this rebirth of English cricket with the the double uh, competition in the summer. Maybe that's part of it, but I think it's if that is the thinking, then they've made a mistake there because uh, you know he, he can be a bit like your sort of embarrassing uncle and all that sort of stuff. But it's a bit of a shtick that he plays. He really knows his cricket, so uh, I, I think yeah, I, I would have been happy with him being there. And then big names like Adam Gilchrist, Shane Warne aren't in this lineup. I wonder if they were just too expensive for the ICC or if they weren't approached or I wonder what it is. Yeah. But I'm surprised both of them aren't there. With with Warner you'd you'd think it has to be money related, not because he's <laughs> desperate for cash, but just because he's, I mean, his day rate's pretty high. But but think about think about controversial commentators like he brings so much because he always has an opinion on everything. He's Got obviously a huge World Cup uh, history, ninety nine, and he might have something to say about two thousand and three as well. So that's one where you you just think you you really want him in, and you can't imagine that they would have just naturally overlooked him. So money's the only one that really comes oh, unless, unless there's a couple of big poker tournaments on that are clashing with it. Who knows? You can do both. <laughs> well, any other omissions for you from the commentary lineup? Or are you happy to move on to our World Cup predictions? I know the listeners are just waiting for this segment. It is time to lock down these panellists, Joe Bart and Steve Wilson, with their predictions for the Cricket World Cup. So, Joe, I'll start with you. Who do you think will be the top four at the end of the group stage? I don't think I've wavered on this pretty much since we did a podcast about two or three months ago. and I think it's going to be Australia, India, New Zealand, England. I think that's... Just, I mean, they're, they're, there's a chance that a team like Pakistan or West Indies could come in and blow them out of the water. Um, that's possible. When does I a think... tournament go to script, though? No, exa- uh, exactly. Uh, you're right. You, you're predicting the top four sides. I mean, exactly. But but that's why why wouldn't I predict the top four? Top you predict four whoever sides? you want. Exactly. So. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm saying is, I don't think South Africa will make it, which which is the the one obvious omission because I think it's five. There's five clear teams. One of them obviously has to miss out. Of those five teams, I'm saying South Africa will be the one to miss out. Right, Steve, give me your top four. Oh, it's, it's going to be <laughs> not great for sort of controversy and conversation, but pre- pretty much going for the same things. But I did have a, a Pretty change. much all you are. Oh, exactly the same thing. So India, uh, England, uh, New Zealand and Australia as the top four. 
I think the last time we even spoke about this on the pod, I said that South Africa, I had in my head to sort of uh, pip Australia to that fourth spot. I've just from seeing pretty much how Steve Smith's been going and the the smoothness of the reintegration of those two players uh, for me has kind of tipped the balance uh, a little bit ahead of South Africa. I think they're still within a shout. I think England and India are the two who are absolutely locked in. And then, yeah, it's two from that three with the outlier of Pakistan or West Indies if they get on a roll or there's weather or whatever that happens there. South Africa are a dangerous team. If their their quicks are all fit and firing through it, which is another sort of question mark over it, if they can take the wickets that slow down teams, then there's no reason they can't force their way ahead of Australia or New Zealand into that four. But if you're asking me to put my own money down here and now, I'm saying India, England, uh, New Zealand and Australia. Well, I was going to say big call, but not really. Um <laughs> So I my predictions are, I think that we're going to see two teams sort of break away from the pack and cruise into the semifinals, and I think that'll be England and Australia. And then I think you're going to see four teams really jockeying for that third and fourth spot. And I've got Afghanistan and South Africa making the semifinals with West Indies and India just missing out. Now, uh I've gone for Afghanistan because I think they just have nothing to lose in this World Cup. They have a tremendous bowling attack, aggressive batsmen, and even in that first game against Australia, no one's expecting them to do anything. So I think they could be the team that just does a Kenya and just um, surprises everyone in this World Cup. South Africa, I think, have an advantage with staying fit now. That bowling attack is going to be really dangerous in English conditions. And I think they have an advantage over India, who we saw collapse to the Kiwis in a warm-up game. Exactly as I said on this podcast, that India would be vulnerable batting first in the morning in England. And we've seen that. So I think South Africa will pip India and the West Indies will, will push hard, but in the end just won't quite have the quality to make the semi-finals. So where do, where do you have the Kiwis in your list then? Nowhere. Well, not in the... Not, 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 not exist in any mix, all right? No. So at best, like seventh. S- seventh, <laughs> seventh yeah, se- Kiwis seventh. Above I d- Sri Lanka, <laughs> Bangladesh. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I'm, I think the Kiwis are overrated. And and then the sort of team that they'll they'll win a few and they'll, fin- they'll finish around, you know, the six or seven seventh. mark. Mm-hmm. India, though, is the big shock. I think mm-hmm. they're the team that's going to miss out that will really turn heads. Yeah, I mean, but, I wouldn't be surprised if India wins the whole thing. That, yeah. that, they've got such a strong like the very few weaknesses within that entire lineup. I know you, you you've discussed the um weak frailties against the swinging ball early in the morning, but I just look at that team and it's very, very very comp- like compact batting lineup. Um Hardik Pandya as the as the big hitter in the middle order and a great bowling attack. That, what about that Zazai for Afghanistan? He's one of the reasons I think they're gonna make the semifinals. Made forty eight or forty nine off about twenty eight balls against Pakistan on the weekend. And I'd love to see him in the big bash next year. We need to get players like him in the big bash. No, I love it. I'm looking forward to watching Afghanistan, and I think they'll definitely take a couple of uh, uh, decent scalps along the way. So they'll they'll have a an impact on who does finish in the top four. But I just think at the moment, as great as they are and 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 as talented as they are, they maybe haven't quite got enough yet to be you know finishing top four. Uh, and but I'd, I'd be very happy to be proved wrong. Yeah, it'd be awesome for them to have kind of like a Sri Lanka 1996 mm. breakout World Cup. Not necessarily win it all, but 
just that completely unexpected driving force with uh, Rashid Khan leading the way. Because of not having the associate nations there, they are the sort of undisputed Cinderella team, yeah. everyone's second team, and you know where all the sort of love's going to be directed towards. So it would be a terrible shame if they if they. Stinker. Yeah, the stinker. Yeah, it nine would. from nine. Yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, I, I think they'll they'll do well, but not quite as well as you're perhaps picking, Manus. Now, Steve, who's your uh, Australian tournament leading run scorer? Well, I don't want to just make this uh, whole podcast samey and just going back to the same topic every time. But I think Steve Smith. Now, from what we've seen, th- th- there's still those question marks. He hasn't played in competitive games, and a lot can happen. But he just looks so assured. He looks like he's got a point to prove. And I think if Australia are going to do well, and I think they are, they need him to be sort of firing. And if he faces enough balls, then he's he's going to score uh, a decent amount of runs. You, Joe? I'll say all the same things except put David Warner's name in place of Steve Smith. <laughs> um, I feel like Warner at the top of the order, he's going to get every opportunity he needs to score runs. Facing the two new balls, uh, I think, yeah, he, he will have a chance to feast upon uh, some small English grounds. Well, I've got Steve Smith as well as Australia's leading run scorer, but I had to because I've been uh, (laughs) sticking by him through thick and thin over the last few months while others... Have doubted. What, what a hard man to stick by as well. Yeah. You're, you're uh, my, stick, sticking you, you, by the man who everyone has yeah. said is the best since Bradman. Jeez, you're you're a loyal man. You're trying to cash in that Smith dividend that you've been working so hard for. <laughs> now, my tournament leading run scorer, I've gone for Quinton de Kock, the top of the order for South Africa. I think he's due for a, a big World Cup. He, Joe, he needs to be for South Africa to do well. He's he's the absolute key for them for me. I've gone against everything that you've said so far. I'm going Virat Kohli because I think. He's just he's just got that that Again, did relentless this stretch mindset. Stretch your imagination so. to go for the world's best one batsman. day batsman. No, well, I think well, given that you've got a missing, right. you've, no, you've got I, a missing I, everything. I was ta- I was juggling between De Kock and Coley because mm. you, you'd think if India were to do well, Coley's going to have to carry them. And I think he'll. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I think he's the sort of guy who's pretty happy to carry the bulk of the uh, the workload. I was yeah. Thinking of some of the similar names, I got DeCock written down, I got Smith, I got Joss Butler, but uh, in the end, uh, I pumped for Jason Roy. Good one, I really like that one. I just think England are my tip to win it, or at least get to the final. Um, He's shown that he's got an incredible sort of rate of scoring, he's a very mature player, and he's, you know, the opening batsman for the team that I think are going to win it, so... He's going to say face more balls than anyone else, and so probably score more runs than anyone else. I thought you might have gone for Besto there. Yeah, well, much of a muchness. I think Bairstow's got this sort of, a more sort of gung-ho approach to it. and He will generate great starts for England, but he's more likely to sort of make way earlier than Roy. I think Roy will go deeper in more games and therefore, you know, score plenty of uh, centuries. And what about the tournament leading wicket-taker and Australia's leading wicket-taker, Steve? Tournament could be the same answer, but I think... Jason Roy? <laughs> yeah, no, um, Mitchell Stark for the uh, Australian wicket-taker. I mean, he may not be the most important bowler. I think Cummins has got uh, an awful lot to bring, and then Zampa and, and Lyon, you know, in a, in a tournament that's going to be dependent on spin, they're all going to be at their game. But in terms of just raw wicket-taking ability, you can't look past Stark in the Australia team. When you look back to 2015, and he just he goes at those stumps with the, with those Yorkers, and I think a lot of batsmen just aren't going to be able to to live with him. Um, and so he could well be the sort of leading wicket taker. But I am flipping between backwards and forwards between Adil Rashid and Trent Bolt. Adil Rashid, mm, he's a, li- a Bolt from the blue, mm, leading wicket taker in ODIs in the last four years. Again in. 
prime wicket threat in a team that I think are going to go very, very deep into the tournament. Um, uh, I think people, despite the quality that he has, I don't, he sort of goes a little bit under the radar and some opposition teams might sort of come at him and that'll play into his hands. But yeah, Rashid or, or, or Trent Bolt, I think, for the outright. Bardo? I love the idea of um, Rashid Khan being able to pull it out. Um, he's The biggest problem for him will be that Opposition teams will clearly identify him as the major threat for uh, for Afghanistan and might be able to just wait out the 10 overs. But he bowls three wicket taking balls every over, so I think he could be a good chance to clean up uh, with two or three wickets every game. However, I'm just going to go boring. Jasper Brumra, best bowler in the world, so and uh, and much like Steve, he's putting all his eggs in the England basket. I'm putting uh, quite a few of my eggs in the uh, in the in the Indian basket, and yeah, Brumra for mine is and for a, Australia. For Australia, I like Pat Cummins. I think Cummins cool. is primed. He's primed for a for a big tournament. I think he's, as Steve said, Australia's most impo- important important bowler. And I completely agree with all of the uh, sentiments said about Mitchell Stark and his just devastating wicket taking ability. But much like Stark had the 2015 World Cup in his hand, I think this could be Pat Cummins' time. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Well, this is going to be pretty boring. I've gone for Australian Mitchell Stark as well. Uh, I think he'll just get a lot of wickets, especially at the back end of an innings with those devastating Yorkers. Then for the tournament, I've gone Rashid Khan as well, but Kagiza Rabada is really going to challenge for the most wickets. He looks in supreme form with the ball, bowling very quick. I would not want to have to face him if I was an international batsman right now. That is our predictions. No doubt they're 90% wrong. (laughs) We're going to take our final break in the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. Just want to remind you, if you want to get in touch with the show and send in any questions, any feedback on those predictions, you can find myself on Twitter, at Amenners, A-M-E-N-N-E-R-S. That's on uh, Twitter, at Amenners Cricket on Instagram. Sam, all over the social media. And we are getting a selfie today, so (laughs) don't get up and leave. It's going to be a selfie, guys. And you can email us at auscricketpod, that's A-U-S, cricketpod at gmail.com. All right, coming up after the break, our final segment. Do you feel like you're a, a better person for what you've been through, that it's been a life experience that, that you, you, you kind of learned from? And uh, were there times there where you didn't actually think you'd get to this spot? Yeah, look, uh, I guess having a year to sort of reflect and... Um, and do some different things that I'd never done before. You know, working in the, the mental health space, doing stuff with Gus Warland, that was incredibly eye-opening and, and yeah, satisfying in a way to know that I was kind of making a difference um, to, to other people. Um, so I took a lot out of that. And, yeah, I do feel that I've, I've certainly grown as a person over the last year, that's for sure. Well, that was Cricket Unfiltered reporter Pete Lawler forcing some reflection from Steve Smith there. Of course, this is the Cricket Unfiltered podcast here with Joe, Steve, I'm Manners. And uh, let's uh, read out some listener reviews. Thank you to those people that have gone on and left reviews for the podcast on iTunes or whatever app you listen to the show on. Uh, This is from Esoteric Villager. Five stars, simply the best. Simply the best cricket podcast out there. Get into it. Thanks, Bob. Appreciate that review. This next review, it's titled Social Justice Warrior with three stars. 
and the the person that's written it is has been very cowardly and written their name as Menas is a SJW. So I don't know who actually submitted this one, but the the review goes: there is a lot of good content on this podcast. Thank you. However, whenever there is anything controversial or political, you can expect Menas to take the most politically correct left wing virtue signalling position now as two fellow panelists on this podcast and well, what do you think do you think that's a fair assessment of the way i handle political issues oh, i just think you're being a bit of a snowflake about this menace and uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't know i always find you quite fair when it comes to matters that are, are sensitive so um everyone's entitled to their opinion yeah joe's oh, completely speechless yeah. I'd, I'd, I, I would ordinarily try to go and take the uh, contrary view to anyone that you have but you you don't hold on to your opinions, is what I would say. So I'm not sure if I agree with Menace as a social justice warrior. <laughs> I um I, I do th- I did think about this uh, review and and think do I do virtue signalling? But in the end, I am not politically motivated, left, right wing, whatever you want to say. I just like every good cricketer, I play each ball on its merits. And if I see an issue, I make it. I make a judgment. And uh, if you think that's virtue signalling, then no problem. Social justice is basically a good thing, it's isn't good it? Thing. Yeah. <laughs> and typically, everybody I've ever seen use the term virtual signalling has been a complete fool. So take from that what you will. <laughs> All right, uh, going to finish this podcast. It's World Cup Eve. Oh, I'm can't sleep, which is really good because I'm sort of getting my body clock adjusted to late nights now, Steve. Uh, that's the good thing about the warm up games. You can just start to slowly adjust to being up all night and sleeping all day. Yeah, warm-up games for all of us. We uh, uh, had a practice going deep into the night with for the England-Australia yeah, game. completely messed up that one. I was asleep at 9 o'clock. Yeah, I only... Woke saw, up at about 10.30. I only got one innings then, but then, yeah, I wasn't being paid to watch that one, so that's probably why that happened. <laughs> I tried to watch it last night, and every 15 minutes there was a rain delay, so that's another proper warm-up for, for this World Cup. Hopefully there's not too much rain. So, Joe, what is your favourite World Cup memory? The one of the five times Australia have won it. There's <laughs> so many. Well, I mean, I, you could go with those. With with the you just dropped the World Cup. You could go with the run out. You could go with any of the five uh, victories. But my my favourite one was the, Australia's opening game of the 2003 World Cup when it was honestly. A, I, know, I know Australia did go on to win 11 straight, and in many ways it was a procession, a victory parade from the word go. But Shane Warne had been kicked off the tour for a failing a doping ban two days before two days or one day before um before Australia played Pakistan and they were in their opener and they were, Australia lost four or five wickets. They were really in really in quite a bit of trouble. He had Ricky Ponting and in comes Andrew Simons who up to that point, pretty ordinary form, had never delivered in any way on the big stage. And they were they were in genuine trouble now. I think if Australia loses that game, I'm not sure how the rest of the tournament goes because there was a really weird kind of vibe around the Australian team. Andrew Simons goes on to hit 143 not out. Australia wins that game by comfortably by 100 runs or so, and then goes on, of course, to to win undefeated. Ponting goes nuts in the final, but without Andrew Simons' performance in that game, I'm not I'm not convinced that Australia wins that World I Cup. I agree. Yeah. Now, Steve, what about you? What's your favourite World Cup memory? Is it? You know, one of the many World Cup final losses for England. There we go. Uh, yeah, no, well, as, as an Englishman... 80 through 7, 92, okay. 75, 79. Are you, are you done? As, a, as an Englishman, obviously, you're not quite as spoiled for choice as, a, as an Australian for those sort of moments of glory. Um, yeah, they're more moments of sort of shame and embarrassment and whatnot. But on a personal level, my 
favourite World Cup was 1996, was what happened there, purely because just watching Jayasuria and the Sri Lankans, just the cricket we're going to see at this World Cup, we all know how it's going. At that time in 96, one day cricket was not played at anywhere near the pace that it is now. And a lot of the change was down to that Sri Lankan team and particularly to Jayasuria, who just started sort of teeing off and pinch hitting. Ranatunga. Yeah, Ranatunga. There you go. Before and, and the, Ramesh Kalawitharana, my the, boy. There you go. It was just replete with uh, big hitting sort of front foot players and unheralded to a sort of you know wider audience. And It is funny that your memory does not involve England at all. <laughs> How could it? Sri, Sri Lanka did beat. England it was in the quarterfinals and that was one of the best games so there you go that's the English sort of element in there no but they, they went on and won not only playing in a brilliant fashion and in a fresh fashion in a way that you know the rule changes with the power plays sort of ushered that in a little bit but they were the first ones to sort of recognize that yeah we can from the off start you know chipping over mid on and mid off and 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 getting you know high scores from from the get-go but it was also Sri Lanka as at that time a small team when you're an English fan you you kind of have to have a second team in pretty much every World Cup bar the one we're about to have now and they were a sort of very likable team as well as a, as, a, as a supremely talented team, and so there was. And you a, were just happy they beat the Aussies in the final, <laughs> nah, weren't you? It's not about Australia. Not everything's about Australia. It's not about Australia losing. It was about Sri Lanka winning, and and it was a it was a wonderful story, and it was done in such a wonderful style, and it changed cricket. It, it changed how one day cricket was was played, and so that's probably the fondest memory I have of uh, World Cups. Oh, that's a lovely memory. So, because I'm the host of this podcast and have been to a lot of World Cups, I have my top five. World Cup memories. I'm going to count them down for you. Don't worry, I'll do it quickly. So my my fifth favourite memory is Australia v England in the 1992 World Cup at the SCG. It was a fantastic night. The atmosphere was really exciting. The only problem was both them defeated England Australia that night. But I guess for me, he's being just a bit too young to see Botham and his pomp, seeing him towel up Australia at least once, I sort of get the, the Botham effect. My fourth World Cup memory is the World Cup final at the MCG in 2015. 100,000 people cheering the Aussies on to victory. Doesn't get any better than that. Well, it does because I've got three more. <laughs> uh, number three in the list, Australia v India World Cup semi-final in 2015. Now, you might ask, Menes, why have you put the semi-final ahead of the final? Because... I felt there were, you know, it was really important Australia made the World Cup final in their home final. If, if we'd lost to the Kiwis, that would have been disappointing. But having not Australia in the final, I think, would have been more disappointing. Plus, the SCG just turned into, like, Little India. It was probably 60% Indian fans that were absolutely cock-a-hoop until about the last hour and a half when they were just deathly silent. And then my top two memories, no surprises to regular listeners of this podcast. Number two, Australia v South Africa at the Super Sixers stage of the 1999 World Cup in your backyard at Headingley, yeah. Steve. The scene of Steve Waugh's backs to the wall century, Herschel Gibbs dropping the World Cup. Just a fantastic game and Australia's World Cup was on the line and they salvaged it. Yeah, wonderful. I mean, in- incredible. Like you said at the start of this, uh, you're spoilt for choice with all these moments of, of glory. And I'll never forget the bus trip from London to he- to Headingley. There was about 20 South Africans behind us on the bus and they were just giving it to us the whole time. We're going to knock you out of the World Cup. You know, Headingley, your World Cup ends well. 
That's not the way the story went, my friends, because my number one memory, Australia v South Africa, World Cup semi-final, 1999, Edgbaston. I was there. I'll never forget being on the boundary, seeing Donald run out and then sprinting on the field towards the huddle of Australian players. Hard to top that moment. Hard to top that moment as a cricket fan. A tie going through to the final. So that's my top five World Cup moments. I hope you listeners out there are salivating now at the prospect of the World Cup beginning very shortly. I, well, I think people should be. I mean, what, what's going to define this World Cup or, or as we sit here now, as easy as it was to pick a top four, but then maybe down to five and six. It is actually a very open World Cup, barring uh, Sri Lanka perhaps. and But even Bangladesh and uh, Afghanistan are going to have an impact at somewhere along the way. So uh, it, it's going to be a nip and tuck World Cup. And yeah, it, it, those great memories that you've enjoyed and you're reminiscing on, <laughs> we're going to hopefully make some more. Yeah, World Cup does... Uh Get the, the the juice flowing, doesn't it, Joe? Does you the, look asleep over the there? Ju- the juices are flowing. I'm desperately hoping for for Steve that England doesn't let him down too much this tournament. Yeah. All right, listeners. Well, that is it for this episode of Cricket Unfiltered. Coming shortly, I will have uh, Sam Landsberger, who is uh, reporting on the World Cup for News Corp and Cricket Unfiltered. I'll be speaking to him just ahead of Australia's first game to get all the news from the ground in England. And, uh, yeah, that's coming up later in the week. Thanks for coming back on the show, Steve. The, the, the listeners should go to dailytelegraph.com.au slash sports slash cricket. All your work's going to be there. Yeah, no, no need to go anywhere else. And Joe, thanks for coming on the podcast. I just hope everything's okay at home. It's all good, man. And, and you're feeling okay. Remember, you can call me anytime I, if you just want to have a chat about stuff. I'm a really good listener. This is the last just thing this I'll be sort doing. Of anger building up inside you. If you need to let it out, I'm always here. <laughs> Listeners, you've been listening to Cricket Unfiltered. I'm your host, Andrew Mensel, and we'll be back soon with another podcast. <laughs> 